Ina mana ina reo inga iwi o tumutu, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. I'm Shane Tapau, and this is the Featherstone Booktown Podcast. Last year was my first experience as a panellist at Featherstone Booktown, and I loved it. In fact, I loved it so much, I jumped at the chance not only to attend again this year, but to host this podcast, because this is an event that deserves all the buzz it can get. It really is a great weekend of dialogue and discussion with an incredible lineup of Aotearoa's best authors and most imaginative minds. The town of Featherston isn't just a backdrop, the whole town is part of the event. For me, this country town setting helps get your mind in the right frame, helps focus on all the rich offerings, including from authors who explore subjects and in genres I've never been exposed to. You know what? That's why I enjoy it so much. The truth is, when you become an old fella like me, it's easy to stick with what you know. And with social media, it's just as easy to avoid encountering any person, idea or ideology we don't already like or agree with. Booktown has such a varied programme No bubble is big enough to contain all that diversity. That's what I found last year. When I left Booktown 2022, I was surprised with how much my brain is willing to take in when I give it a chance. New and challenging perspectives. New and challenging voices. Māori voices. Pākehā voices. Pacifica, gay, lesbian and trans voices. Writers of fiction, fact, fantasy, or some blend of all three. Please visit the website to delve into the program, but in this short, limited interview series, I will be speaking to four amazing talents, three writers and one publishing icon. So, let's get going. But before I do, allow me to introduce my friend and co-host Phil Quinn, who will explain what we're hoping to get out of all of these conversations and to tell you all the details you need to know to take part in Booktown yourself this year. Kia ora, Phil. Kia ora, Shane. Look, I've got to agree. I've been a couple of times as somebody who I I write for a living and then I compose sentences, but I don't consider myself a writer. That would be grandiose. But, But nevertheless, I like to be around that kind of environment. And as you say... Featherston, the whole town comes to life. It really is, you know, an exciting energy. You might expect it to be a bit, you know, fuddy-duddy, but it's nothing like that. It's a big, And I think that's credit to the organisers because they really put together a very forward-leaning, future-oriented program with lots of young people. They involve the schools in the, in the South Wairapa, you know, in many different ways through many different programs including giving all the kids in the, in, in, in the local primary schools a book to, to commemorate the, the, the Booktown festivities. Uh, so that's, that's just indicative, I think, of the sort of ethos. And, you know, it's great to have, have events in Auckland or Wellington, but, you know, you're inevitably swallowed up by the urban environment. You're swallowed up by the city around you. Whereas Featherston, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like Davos, but for New Zealand uh, <laughs> writers and not, and not nearly as, you know, fascistic. But honestly, if you haven't booked, get on, get you know, get online, check out their website, which is easy enough to find, Featherston Booktown, and and you'll have a fantastic weekend.
Well, Phil, that's a great segue into our first guest because this you could hardly describe our first guest as fuddy-duddy. This is an old friend of mine, way back to my glue pot days when he fronted straight jacket fits, and that's Shane P. Carter, who we have on the line. Tenakwe Shane. Yeah, kia ora there, bro, and uh, and to you too, Phil. Yeah, hey, I was just I was just thinking about what you were saying yeah. in your intro about that thing about how um, you know the environment of um, uh, of the ideas at things like the book festival, as opposed to how we um, encounter ideas on social mm. media. I was thinking, you know, when you go to those book festival things, it's a, it's a, actually a really nice environment, and it's it's the sharing of ideas rather than the imposition of ideas, <laughs> what which, which was. Which, which social media is, right, you know? It's this, this sort of forceful, gladiatorial imposition of ideas, whereas the Booktown vibe, it is, yes, the sharing of ideas, and there's a crucial difference there, right? And, yeah, I, I don't know, I, when I go to those book festival things, it's just a really nice environment to be in. And also, you know, I love hearing about people's work processes, how they get the work done. I find that fascinating. Yeah, but... Hey, it is about the sharing of ideas. Also, sometimes that when you are a writer or an artist, it's a very solitary endeavour. Mm. And then when you actually go there and find there's, there's a community of like-minded people who value art and literature and realise how valuable those things are to our societies and quite often undervalued in our you know, capitalistic, obsessed ways. You know, art, when are you going to get a real job? But, look, I'm just raving on right from the top, aren't no, I? No, no, nothing wrong with raving. But, Shane, you know, you are a person of words. You know, uh, your lyrics um, and, your, and your three, you know, remarkably successful bands, uh, Double Happy, Straight Jacket Fits and Dimmer. When, when, did you, when did it sort of first hit home that you were a, a person of words and, and how did you come to, uh, how did you come to be one? Um... I think, uh, look, I got into music when I was 14-year-old and I had no music education and I got swept up by punk rock mm-hmm. just because it was this rebellious thing. Um, I kind of, you know, I had my own, tr- like a lot of people, I had my own troubles, you know, growing up and all that kind of stuff. The world actually seemed, when I was a kid, quite a hostile place. And uh, when I discovered this music that any anybody could play, um, I guess it's like hip-hop today, you know, mm. where you just need a beat. And, uh, you know, with, with the music, I just needed, you know, you needed one chord, and anyone could do it, which was the beauty of it. It gave me the outlet that I needed, you know, and um, I've often thought if I didn't have that outlet, you know, what would have happened? And uh, But thankfully I did. And so it just meant that when I started writing songs, I was basically this disaffected kid getting to have their say. And um, so that's why I got into it and started writing lyrics. Yeah, Shane, I, I do want to talk about I do want to talk about your formal writing and dead people I've known a great sort of biography. But can I just ask one more question in terms of your formative years, if, if I could? What was it about Dunedin in the seventies and eighties that brought to us such great? Musical talent, the Bats, the Verlaines. I think the Chills might have started out of out of Dunedin. Correct me if I'm wrong. Martin Phillips and the yeah, Chills, the Chills, the Queen, yes. all those bands. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, why Dunedin? How? How come? I don't know. You know, like yeah. there's been sort of many theories put put forward. Let's see. The theories that I arrived at were um, 
it was isolated, so uh, there was nothing yeah. else to do. Um, there was also, look, any art needs something to react against, and uh, the conservatism and violence of uh, Dunedin was something to react against, you know. But I think it, all of us musicians, we felt like outsiders, but that just gave us more backbone and determination to, as uh, Nick, Nick Cave's phrase, to kick against the pricks, you know. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, like it lit a, the conservatism that we were surrounded by lit a fire under our asses. So I think mm-hmm. that had something to do with it. Also, like I say, with the whole punk thing is that anyone could do it. It wasn't this elitist thing. It wasn't this thing that you had to go to university to study and to understand. It was this direct, visceral music that um, had its own kind of soul. And any good music, that's the quality it has. It's got soul, you know. And uh, music with no soul isn't good music. Music with soul is the good shit, you know. And then Shane... uh, uh, Leading, leading up to all of that, in nineteen in, in, in 2019, you wrote your biography, Dead People I Have Known. And I've got to say, I don't know if you know this, Shane, it's blinking hard to get a hold of. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, very hard to get a hold of. And very you know, right. Yeah, very hard to get a hold of. And first up, you won many awards, including the ultimate, the Ockham New Zealand uh, Book Awards. Tell us, tell us about, tell us, you know, what made you want to sit down and write an autobiography, uh, and if you've read, as I have, um, Dead People I've Known, it's it's a deep, raw reach into, into your soul, Shane. Right. You, look, well, the strange the thing was, was I wrote it out, out at Ala Moana, and I was just on my own out there, which is quite an isolated community. It's incredible surroundings. You're right at the bit mm. where the um, sea comes into the harbour. There's two beaches. The the wildlife scene is going off with no humans around. There's seals, birds. Just this really elemental, powerful place. So I think that kind of contributed in its own way. And also, I think being so isolated, I had no book deal. I didn't get any grants from anyone. The reason I got to write that book was that a friend of a friend gave me their crib for 150 bucks a month. Mm. That's the only way I got that book written, that I could have the time to sit wow. down you know, and afford to sit down and write it. I think um, when I was a kid, I was a journalist for a couple of years. When I left high school, I worked as a journalist for two and a half years in a private radio station. It actually put me off working for other people for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I, I, when I had the chance to go on the dole and go on tour with my band, that's what I did. And, and here I am now, blah, blah, blah. But when I wrote the book, I, I don't know, probably because I was a journalist, I like non-fiction and real mm. stories because all the elemental truths are in people's stories. And I thought, well, yeah. I've got a story to tell. Well, look, everyone's got a story to tell. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, my story's interesting. And when you live your life, everything's normal to you. But then you realize that, uh, that it's not normal for other people. For instance, being the singer in a band, not many, you know, to me, that's normal because I've done it since I was a kid. But a lot of people don't know what it's like to get up on a stage and sing in a band, you know. So even stuff like that. I also, I wanted to be really honest and I didn't, I really, I, you know, I didn't need to present this, you know, fictionalised version of me and what a great guy I am and, you know, once again I was right and all that kind of stuff because life's not like that, you know. I just wanted to write about the, the people around me, my Fano. Also, a section of New Zealand life that I don't think that I know, that I don't think has been represented mm. that much in literature in New Zealand, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, uh, the yeah. underbelly of it, yeah. the, the working class of Dunedin, they're all people I know, you know, and, uh, you know, alternative lifestyles, you know, um, look, 
people who take drugs, you know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Heaps of people yeah. in New Zealand take drugs. Uh, their whole under, like I say, this, that whole strata of existence that isn't acknowledged in the university halls, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I, and that's also the life I know, you know, and I, so I wanted to rep, not represent those people, but um, report their lives because in, as in any strata of, of, of people in our society, you know, there's, pe- there's fascinating and great people, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to sort of tell their stories too. But my main thing really was just how to be fair to people, you know, and because you have no right to take other people's dignity. And um, so, yeah, that was, that was my major conundrum, really. Phil. Shane, can I, can I jump sure, in with a couple sure. of questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shane, I'm not going to pretend I, I'm uh, across the, the music, music generally, so, um, because I'm, just, I'm not. I wish I was. I'm just, it's just not, not something I'm oh, okay with. But what, I'm yes, glad yes. you said, I'm glad you said that you're interested in, in the, the writing process because that, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you, both uh, in terms of you've written a memoir, uh, but mm. you're also a songwriter, and that, that, the, they're both you know, different, quite, you know, different on the face of it, very different forms of writing. Mm-hmm. How does you, how does, you, how is your process the same or different, whether you're writing long form prose and, you know, in terms of your autobiography or writing a song? Yeah, well, you know, the thing was, is, um, is that I don't think they are different and that, you know, in fact, I don't think any creative form, whether you're a sculptor, a painter or a writer or a songwriter, it's all about, Look, it's all in the editing, and it's all—it's all about what you put in, and more importantly, it's what you leave out. You know, sure. And so, yeah. yeah so it's, it's, it's the, the fat you trim, and what you know, what you choose not to say can be as powerful as you know what you actually say. So, all those skills, yeah, it's all in the sure. editing, and uh, also you find that with a perfect sentence, or a perfect piece of sculpture, or a perfect piece of music, it'll have this balance and symmetry to it. And um, yeah, and I, just, I'm, just, I'm curious. Just, Shane, just something just, is right. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. Shane. I'm just curious about whether you think that the the writing for the song, writing songs, has helped you as a prose stylist by you know encar- it encourages brevity, discipline, as you say, making yes, choices. Right. You know, yes. uh, killing your darlings, as I think someone actually writes. Kingsley Amos or But but my, my question really is. Do you think that because it strikes me that you that there are plenty of music musician autobiographies out there, but there aren't that many critically acclaimed ones that, that come to mind. But when they do, they the two that come to mind to me are both from the punk scene. You know, Patti Smith and and yeah. and you know and the, and, and and you. And I'm thinking, is there something in that? Is there something? You know, Shane asked you, is there something? What was happening to Needham? Or what was happening in punk rock that made? you know, at least by this small sample that I'm mentioning, great writers. Because, you know, your typical celebrity memoir is not normally known for great writing. But both yours and, and the Patti Smith books have been, you know, critically acclaimed. And you both come from the same era, in a sense, don't you? So well, you were a bit after, I yeah. think. But, but yeah. Um, yeah, the influences wouldn't be completely different, even though you're in different parts of the world. Yeah. Um, well, she was a poet originally, so she's always she's always dealt in words. And like I said, I was a journalist yeah. as well, so I, that's 
journalism is the same as songwriting and that you're writing words to be read aloud, you know, as opposed to be on a page. Yeah. But I found that when I did write my book, when I first started writing it, it was all flowery and as oh, I'm writing a book and I had therefore and henceforth and all this kind of stuff and big, long, <laughs> big, long sentences. But then when I eliminated all that, I actually got to this sort of quite uh, minimalist style of writing, which is, so a lot of my sentences are actually like... Uh, a, you know, a line from a song kind of thing with the same kind of brevity and all that kind of stuff, which yeah. I actually really like. I like I like directness and I like minimalism and maximum impact from the minimum amount of words, you know. And uh, yeah, right, yeah, uh, you know, like so, um, yeah. But when you're saying about the thing about interesting stuff coming from the punk scene, well, I guess that it was like I said before, something like that allowed people in who sometimes weren't allowed in, and yeah. And you didn't need any official sanction or even any official education to do that art form, you know. So I don't know. I guess it was just a that that movement was just another avenue for people who otherwise may may have not found a a, a way in into being into creative life. Yeah. And I notice you've said you know music. The mu- music is not the music industry. And I wonder mm-hmm. whether the 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 punk scene, you know, drew people in. Who had something to say, not sure. not people that looked the goods, not looked the goods, or could be packaged up and marketed, but people who really had had something at a very deep level they wanted to get across. That's right, and, and maybe it's that impulse. Maybe it's that impulse. I don't. I don't know. But that it strikes me as as, as notable. You know that that um, I haven't read your book. I, I will. I look forward to it. Oh, you should. Say. Um, oh. But but you know, it's it's striking that that. You know you, that this is the punk scene has morphed into a sort of a literary legacy, and I don't think anyone saw that coming. But when you think about it, I suppose it isn't it isn't that strange because, you, as you say, it's storytelling. Right. It's it's, well, it's, it's really words. Is. Yeah, it is. And also, when you get those uh, people who are genuinely compelled to do what they do, and they you know they're not doing it to be in a magazine or you know everyone likes attention and recognition, but. The primary motivation is you've got something to say, and uh, um, yeah, and all my favourite art forms have are true, and you know I can tell that that person really means it, and I also recognise their truth. I go, oh, that's how I feel too. I recognise that, and I have I've never articulated it before, but they have, and yeah, look, yeah, uh, one of my favourite sayings is the truth, the truth lasts, and everything else falls away. It's like you know. That is yeah. true, because if it's not true, yeah. it's got nothing to stand on, and it'll, time is the great validator, and it will find you out if you're a faker. And equally, if your yeah. stuff is true, it'll last, and it'll event, no matter what you, what kind of truth I'm talking about, truth lasts, the other the other stuff is rubbish, you know, and it usually yeah. fades yeah. the next day. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing about truth is that truth speaks to people from vastly disparate walks of life, you know, yeah. times where they've lived on the planet, there's that moment you're talking about, that flicker of recognition, you know, where mm. you see something recognisable, relatable in, in the right. work of somebody who might be writing, who might have written in Russian in the, you know, 18th century. But right. it's that's the magic, isn't it? That's the that's the magic of art, I, I think. Well, or at least part of it for me. It's, it's the commonality of it. It's the shared experience. It's the universal experience, man. 
So I can read a book yeah. in the 1800s or, you know, I can hear music from 400 years ago and I recognise it and I can feel it and I can feel whoever composed it or wrote it. I can feel their soul, you know, and uh, it, yeah. it, it speaks to you across the ages and goes back. That's because it's true. And, uh, yeah. yeah. It's grounded in truth, yeah. Yeah. Hey, just for our listeners out there, this is a podcast, and we're talking about <clears throat> Fiddleston Booktown, which is coming up uh, later, very soon actually, and we'll get full to give you more details on, uh, in relation to that. On, on the line, of course, we have Shane Carter, frontman, a man of a, a, a real Renaissance man. Uh, fronted, right? Yeah, you, you are Shane. You know, you're fronted. <laughs> you know, uh, straight jacket fits with its. Which is easily one of the most recognisable fly nun bands ever out of Dunedin, and of course, your award-winning book, Dead People I Have Known. Shane, at the top of uh, the podcast, you talked about attending book clubs or book towns. Uh, you got a, have you got any previous experience with the uh, book town there in Featherston? Yeah, I actually came there. Um, I can't remember a couple of years ago. I came into the session there. I think it was when my book just came out, actually, so it's probably the 2021, mm. and, um, yeah, look, I actually, yeah, I really, yeah, it was great fun, and um, got to hang out in the town for a, for a day or so, and um, meet some of the locals. I actually really like, because I did the whole round of book festivals, and I actually really like the ones that weren't in the major centres, even though, you know, there's good times yeah. at the major centres, too, but... I kind of find in those smaller places, I don't know, maybe people are a bit, bit, bit more really into it because um, they're a bit, I don't know, a bit more passionate or friendly about it or something, you know. And My two favourites were the Featherston one and I really liked the one in um, the Marlborough one as well. Uh, it was real cool too. So what are you doing this What are you doing this year at Booktown? I am doing a session with uh, Warren Maxwell, who's... Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, Warren's a great guy, awesome musician. Uh, I've got full respect for that dude. Yeah, so we're doing a session with um, Nick Bollinger, who himself is a musician, and also he's always been one of New Zealand's leading music writers, and he's an author as well. I think he's just released a new book. Our brief is... I, I actually don't know. We're talking about something. Are we talking about lyrics or writing lyrics and songs or something, or...? It's something about the word smithery of of songwriting. I'm not I'm not sure of the exact subject. Well, I'm sure you and Warren will suss it out <laughs> before before I'm you sure get. It. But, but yeah, but what what I saw when I was there uh, just uh, last year was it very organic. The dis- the the discussion, the corridor was very organic, and I turned up and I thought these are my themes. But then I just sort of had a sense of the room, and it's and and, and it did change. And but you know, Shane, what did surprise me. Um, was the number of rangatahi young people that turned up to the event, including my fifteen-year-old uh, son who, who loved it, and we, we're going to go again. So, Shane, cool. what advice would you give uh, to rangatahi who might love writing but feel making a career out of it? It's beyond beyond their reach. You know, look, it's about it's about anything that you know, like. Firstly, the kids have to look like it, you know. It's yeah. the same, you know, like when you send kids to piano lessons, you know, maybe they just don't like it. If they're into it, if you're into it, you know, and you're a kid, look, speaking as a person who's been an artist, you know, virtually mm. his whole life, you know, if you want to be discouraged from doing it, you don't have to look very far to mm. be discouraged. You know, discouragement yeah. is everywhere, you know. But so the main thing is to keep the faith, you know. That's that's your battle as an artist, to keep the faith and to keep going, again, amidst all the... All, all, all the discouragement, you know, the financial, the financial hardship of it, all that kind of stuff. 
But the other side of the coin is that there's something spiritual about creativity, and it's deep. And then if you're a kid, you know, yeah. just do it. And if you're a if you're a musician, listen to music. If you want to be a writer, read. That's the you know yeah. because when you when you hear other great things, a it inspires you, but it also shows you that it's possible. So when you read a book, yeah. because you know when you think about writing a book, that just seems like this impossible task. If you read a book, you go, oh, okay, well, that person's written it. You know what I'm saying? It mm. makes it possible. Yeah, Same totally. when you hear a great, yeah. you know, a song, you think, okay, I can write a song. And the other thing I think is also is that it's like any talent. It's like if you're a sports person, you're going to get nowhere if you cut corners. You've got to do the hard yards. You've got to do the training. And it's the same with being a, an artist or a creative person. You've got to turn up and do the work because the work doesn't happen if you're not there. Do, you, do so, you get up and write every day, Shane? Do you get up and write a lyric or perhaps an intro to your next book or just perhaps some, some, some thoughts through a journal? So what, what are um, your writing processes? Well, when I was writing my book, I got up at 5 o'clock every morning yeah. and just started writing because I found the, the, the clarity of, the, you know, of dawn. Um, you know, you, you, your mind isn't cluttered. It was, for me, it was a great time to write. I was also influenced, I was really into classical music at that point. I was influenced by the work processes of all those people who wrote incredible amounts of work. Um, Beethoven would get up every morning, count the same number of coffee beans, and then compose until midday, then he'd go for a walk, you know. And uh, so, yeah, look, by the time I got to midday, I, you know, I'd done a day's work. So um, that's how I did it. But the main thing is, is to turn up, you know. Mm. And uh, I call it, I've shared this idea before, that you've got to cross the line of fear. So your workspace can be your computer on the other side of the room, but it's amazing how good you become at avoiding crossing the room, across the line of fear to yeah. actually get there. And so you go, oh, no, I'll go yeah. over here and look at this vase or I'll go into social media or something. But you've got to cross. It's interesting, the line of fear about, you know, why you feel scared. Do you, do you recognize that? About you feel sort of totally. an, an, anxiety yeah. about hmm. going, going there and doing and then once you start doing it, you know, three or four minutes, or five minutes, you're away. But actually getting there, so that's what you, you've got to. And I don't know whether that's fear of failure or what, or um, but I have oh, it. I, I, and, yeah. the creative process. The creative process is terrifying. I think. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I I remember as a kid, I loved the theatre. You know, I was I don't know if I was any good at it, but I, I loved writing to the. You know, I wrote little plays and stuff like that. But I, yeah. as you said, I, I, I just convinced myself, as a, still as a kid, you know, that, oh, there was no, there was no career and that, that wasn't going to work out, I'm not good enough. I gave myself a hundred reasons not to pursue it. But I think yeah. at, the end of, at the end of the day, I was really concerned. I never wanted to be a bloody lawyer or an accountant or anything like that anyway. So I don't know what yeah. I was, but I think the real reason was there's a, there's a way in which you're incredibly vulnerable when you yeah. are writing purely in your own voice. You sure. know, you're not writing for someone or, you know, which is what I do as a communications professional or writing yeah. for other people, you know. Whereas when you write for yourself, there's something incredibly vulnerable about it that I, that I think people might just find that daunting at a sort of almost an emotional level before it's really about practicalities as much, you know. It's yeah, right. Stepping out that fear you mentioned is so relatable from my point of view. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I like I say, I still struggle with that. But yeah, I'd say to the to the kids, turn up for work, and also maintain the faith, and always stay connected with your passion and your love for the craft that you're involved in, because there's lots of distractions on the periphery. 
Um, you know, like for instance, my journey with music. I love music, but you know, the, the music industry is a harsh place. You get all these people on the outside poke, poke, poking at what you do. The main thing is to you know put the blinkers on and uh, not be sidelined by that or by being famous or you know or uh, you know uh, it's about being in love with your craft and having a passion for it. You know, and um, being inspired by the great work that's gone before you. And yeah. So my battle all through my life has been, I had periods where I was, you know, my most successful bands, where I was on big, big major labels overseas, blah, blah, blah. It was a dispiriting and disillusioning experience mm. because a lot of it was just a bunch of shit. And it had nothing to do with my love, my love for, of music. So what I did um, when uh, the Straight Jackets, which was my most successful yeah. band, ended... I had to go back to Dunedin and just fall in love with music again, and that took me four years. And um, but I did. I just went away and I listened, and I got rid of all the bad voices. I no longer thought about somebody in a publishing company office when I thought about music. I thought about a piece of music that I loved, you know. But, and, but, but Shane, you, you, yeah. that's the main thing, yeah. But Shane, here's here's the thing I want to ask you: you, your four bandmates, three hundred people at the Gluepot Hotel up upstairs there. Is that the magic moment where you thought, yeah, this is worth it all? <laughs> Bro, look, whenever I'm involved in a piece of music that's yeah. kicking ass, yeah. whether it was then or today, that's my reward, man. Yeah. And I, I, I don't even need an audience to validate it. I can be mm. playing with other musicians in a practice room and we lock into that magic thing floating around in the ether and, you know, um, that's the buzz, bro. And it's, just, it's, a, it is, it's a transcendent power. And, um, mm. it, you know, that's, that's what and you're, you're hocking. You're, I don't want to be cosmic, but you're hocking into the universal vibe. And it's a powerful thing. And it's way beyond the mundane, man. And uh, that's, I love it. Being involved in that is um, absolutely fantastic. So what next, Shane? What next for Shane? So what am I doing? I'm actually just in Auckland. I'm, I'm producing a record for my friend, an artist called Louisa Nicklin. Um, she's a songwriter from up here. Doing that, and then um, I'm back to... Uh, I've just shifted to Wellington, actually, for the year. Then I've got some soundtrack work, and then um, I'm doing a soundtrack for a movie. Um, I'm hopefully doing an album with the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. I'm writing, a, I'm writing new dimmer material. I've got lots to get on with. I've got lots to keep me out of trouble, or hopefully get me into some trouble. Hey, hey, look, like Phil and I and the thousands of people that go to the uh, Featherston Booktown are looking forward to it. Shane, thank you very much for spending time with uh, Phil Quinn and I today. We enjoyed this corridor and we really look forward to seeing you. Kia ora mai tato. That's Shane Carter, a man of many moments, a man of many talents, songwriter, lyricist, frontman for Straight Jacket Fits and, of course, his award-winning autobiography, Dead People I Have Known. Kia ora mai Thanks, guys.